Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Austin Darris, part of BMO's US-based fixed income sales team. This episode is titled, The Bank of Canada's On Deck. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Austin, welcome back to the show. Uh, I think this is your uh, third or fourth appearance, and uh, it, it is always a pleasure to have you on. I, I, I always enjoy your insights. Uh, so welcome, welcome back in this uh, pre-Bank of Canada podcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me again, Ben. I must be doing uh, something right. Um or people love me and they keep asking for me. So appreciate it. At least I love you. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> Feelings mutual. What else What else do you really need in your life? Uh, so I guess uh, the, the topic du jour, uh, I mean, outside of the, the market kind of going slightly pear-shaped uh, of late, but uh, we have the Bank of Canada on deck next week, and then uh, we'll get to broader market thoughts in a little bit, but let's start with the bank. And, and as much as it's going to be <laughs> very difficult for them to surprise the market the way they did in October, I don't think that's likely on tap. It still is the potential to be a, a interesting Bank of Canada policy meeting. There have been a lot of changes to the macro backdrop. We have a new variant that may cause issues and might make them a little bit more hesitant. Uh, we've had more inflation data. We've had the, we just got the uh, third quarter GDP numbers. And so it, 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 it makes for a potentially interesting meeting. Uh, and, and that's especially the case as we creep ever closer to potential rate hikes. Uh, Austin, before I go into my long rant on the Bank of Canada, what are your thoughts ahead of next week's meeting? I'd say the most important thing we um, should be talking about is obviously when we are getting that first hike. So that's probably the most important thing. We are we are pricing an aggressive path of hikes next year, and that is just what it is at this point. Um, but we have virtually nothing priced for next week, December, and we have um, about 50-50 for January. Uh, if January is in play, that's probably the most important thing we're looking for at this point. What do you think? Well, what are your thoughts on January? Is it is it possible? It's possible, yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, um, I, I think this whole thing caught me by surprise for sure. The pace uh, of hikes that we have priced, again, it's aggressive. Um, I don't see us adding more hikes. We're pricing, I think, five hikes in next year. But there is room to pull those hikes forward. So I don't see why it shouldn't be a possibility that January is in play. Um, the other thing, um, putting January in play also changes the dynamics of maybe they go three times in a row. I think, you know, we originally, when this whole thing started, we're probably thinking uh, every other meeting type thing. And then all of a sudden, we're probably thinking two in a row. And now the question is, maybe we're talking three in a row. So I think that's something that should also be on people's radars. 
it's definitely on my radar. Uh, I'm I'm on record as saying that Jan is is possible. Uh, it's going to take something to get there, though. I don't think we we get there kind of with, with, if everything's kind of status quo. Uh, if we get a couple inflation prints that are above expected, so the the Bank of Canada is looking for for 4.8 percent inflation in the fourth quarter. If it ends up being north of there, which is certainly possible. I mean, look at look at uh, German CPI that we got a half a percentage point above expectations. So uh, n- not impossible we get an, an above uh, expected print there for the next couple months. Uh, we also get two job reports and. And we'll get one of them this Friday, and it, it could be very, very strong. You got the end of job, uh, a number of job supports in Canada uh, from, from the government, and so that that could have pushed people to take jobs maybe they weren't willing to previously, and and so the there there's the the potentials there. Why don't I put it that way? I, I'd say fifty fifty or forty percent, something in that forty to fifty percent range uh, for odds on January uh, is reasonable for me until we get more information. Uh, so I, I I don't mind where that meeting is currently priced, uh, but I'm with you on the aggressiveness or the over aggressiveness maybe of 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 next year. And and what I mean by that is is the total amount of hikes priced. Uh, I, I continue to think that as you as you mentioned, uh, I think the bank will probably go back to back or back to back to back when they do start eventually uh, lifting rates. And and whether that's in January or April, I, I think they definitely move that way. And if you look at the start of the past few tightening cycles, the bank has always gone in back-to-back meetings, uh, either two in a row or three in a row since, I, I believe, 2000. I looked it up today. Uh, and it's something, something I think, along the past 20 years or so. After the last rate cut, when the, the first rate hike, it's, it's, it's back-to-back or back-to-back-to-back. Uh, and, and then they tend to pause. And I think something like that seems a lot more reasonable than what the market has priced and, the, and, and relative to what expectations were previously, which were something along the lines of, of kind of quarterly rate hikes, which, which uh, probably isn't fast enough if inflation really is a worry. Uh, and so, so you asked the question, when is the first rate hike? So as, I, as much as I think January is possible, I think uh, the bank will give us a signal. I, I don't think they're going to leave us in the dark entirely and completely uh, for, for when the first rate hike comes. What they've done uh, through the pandemic is provide forward guidance. And they provided forward guidance through the output gap and, and when that's expected to close. And and in October, they threw a curveball, to put it kindly, in the, in the fact that they moved the supply side of the of the equation. And then that's how they uh, pulled forward the closing of the output gap. And that means that it's possible they could do that at any meeting. Uh, so that that's not an impossible event to occur in January. And, and I think the meeting before that, uh, the meeting before the bank uh, does eventually raise rates, I think we'll get something uh, some kind of signal in in 2010. So post financial crisis, during the financial crisis, they put a conditional commitment in place. In their April 2010 statement, they note that uh, with recent improvements in the economic outlook, the need for such extraordinary policy, and they're talking about uh, that forward guidance, uh, the need for such extraordinary policy is now passing, and it is appropriate to begin to lessen the degree of monetary stimulus. And so there's something along the lines of that. I don't know if they fully ditch the the, uh, the the forward guidance because it because it's outcome based uh, and the output cap closing I, I don't think they necessarily have to but uh, they will provide I think some kind of signal that uh, that rates are poised to move higher likely at the next meeting assuming things don't uh, don't don't get too challenging uh, which I mean given the way markets have behaved the past few days is is certainly not impossible and and we'll see what uh, what omicron does and and how that uh, how that impacts the, the outlook but we don't really know anything about that just yet, so uh, I, I wouldn't be too panicked at the moment. 
that that makes sense, Austin. Any any questions or or pushback on my thoughts? No real questions or pushback. I think where you agree, um, the most important thing at this point is when we're starting. Um, it's going to give us the most uh, information on, on how many they can get in and at a, at a quick amount of time. Um, because I do think that's probably what we're looking at. Get off zero, which they've done a bunch of times, and, and reassess. And I think that's what they're going to do again. And I think something important that happened this week is 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 Fitcher Powell sounding more hawkish and saying that they have to at least discuss doubling or or increasing the pace of tapering, uh, which which in turn brings forward potential Fed rate hikes. Means the bank can maybe get a little bit further away from the Fed in the very short term. Uh, maybe that enables the bank to get in those three potential hikes and and get policy rates up to one percent, even if the Fed's still at that zero to twenty five basis points because the Fed is that much closer to raising rates than, than maybe uh, you would have thought of a few months ago or even even a few weeks ago uh, as, as inflation is clearly on the mind of the Fed uh, as, as they, they follow other global central banks uh, on the march toward tighter policy. Yep. And that was after, obviously, the Omicron stuff popped up in the first place. So they seem to be on a path to raising rates as well, albeit according to uh, OIS pricing, a much slower uh, pace. Definitely slower, and and the terminal rate is lower. We can get to that in a bit, but let, let's. You mentioned Omicron, and I, I feel like we have to touch on that, even though I I'm tired of the pandemic, and uh, I know it's I know it's mostly over in the U.S., but not so in Canada. Um, so let, let's let's. Oh, why don't I go through my my quick thoughts on this? I, I put it in my piece this week, but I'll I'll, I'll just go very quickly in my, my overview. There's, there, I mean, two potential impacts on growth. I think it's straightforward. If you get lockdowns, obviously that's a negative. You've already had travel restrictions in Europe and other places. And so that's a negative for travel. You're seeing oil get crushed accordingly. Uh, I think th- I think that that side's pretty straightforward. If, if, if next week uh, health officials come out and they say, guess what? This is not a problem. Omicron either gives very mild symptoms as, as preliminary uh, data suggests. They don't really know yet. You need more information, but the preliminary data point that way. Or vaccines are effective, or we can make a vaccine in the next kind of month or two, and, and really there's not a big reason to worry, then then this probably all goes back the other way. Oil prices go back up and, and so on and so forth, and uh, maybe I, I get the green light to start traveling again. Uh, that's that's the growth side. I think it's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, inflation is is less straightforward. I, usually, weaker growth means weaker inflation, but not in this case, as we've seen with the pandemic. We can get some more supply chain disruptions, more port disruptions, more factory disruptions, and and that has the potential and, and likely would uh, exacerbate a lot of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing. And and at at a minimum, lengthen the amount of time that we get this kind of above normal pace of inflation. Uh, and, and that's that's what Powell's watching. That that's what global central bankers are like watching as well. And so uh, that that brings back the the stagflation talk, which I don't agree with, given where we are uh, economically. But it, it that talk is there, and that's kind of what markets are betting on when you see the curve flattening hard the way that it is, and it's the Fed reacting to that high inflation and crushing the economy. Uh, I, I I'm not a buyer of that myself. I'm I. Just don't see why the economy can't handle uh, modestly higher rates. We're not talking four or five, ten percent interest rates. It's one, two, three percent. I mean that that's hardly punitive. Uh, and I know there's bigger debt burdens out there, but uh, keep in mind who's accumulated those debt burdens uh, over the past kind of eighteen months or so through the pandemic. Governments more than anybody else. And 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 guess who bought all that debt? Oh wait, central banks. 
so that they're not really at risk of defaulting to central banks. I don't think that's a concern at this point. So the debt argument is there. I get it. I don't think it'll keep rates as low as they currently are. There, There is still some upside from where we are. What about the thoughts on if it gets really bad and this Omicron thing does put us in lockdowns, uh, uh, another bump from stimulus as well, um, which is something I think should be at least thought about. Yeah, I, th- I guess I guess what we, one of the things we've learned, and, and uh, Mr. Joel Prusky highlighted this to me earlier today, is that uh, fiscal policy is probably more impactful in this kind of situation, and, and QE and, and that type of stimulus just inflates asset prices, and maybe we don't want to do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that I mean, that's definitely possible, but we, we already have such a massive cushion of savings on the household side and, and uh, throughout North America. Uh, I haven't seen data through the rest of the world, but I, I guess it's it's something similar through uh, most of the the, the developed world. I'm not sure how much stimulus we really need. I guess support for 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 industries that would be hit hard, definitely. Uh, but the type of broad-based support we got on the early stages of the pandemic would would probably be overkill. And I would strongly argue just reinforce the inflationary pressures we're getting. So it would be that much more inflationary at the end of the day, because it would just reinforce the behavior that we've seen develop through the pandemic, which is Lots of goods buying, a shift away from services. And and I think the longer that lasts, the more entrenched that behavior becomes. And that means that you're not going to have a shift back towards services from goods consumption and and kind of the normalization of, of consumption that the Fed is looking for and other central banks are looking for might take longer. You'll need production to change. You'll need supply chains to adapt. And so it, it's potentially a more difficult and lengthy process than, than what policymakers are currently envisioning. I completely agree. Uh, just wanted to throw it out there as a, probably a low, a, a, a low delta targeted type stimulus. Um, but I agree with everything you just said. I, I hope we don't get to that. I'm not sure I can manage another lockdown. <laughs> I, I, might, I might go mad. I completely agree. <laughs> Okay, moving on from the bank, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the market here. Uh, what we've seen over the past week or so is uh, fear of Omicron driving uh, a broader risk-off tone, and 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 you can see it today's Wednesday, December first. Uh, stocks had a good morning; they were up about a percent or so after a pretty weak uh, week Tuesday, and they ended the they ended the day down sharply lower, really. Uh, and, and and sharply lower from, from where they were in this morning, which uh, is is really never a good sign. Uh, and and in in that type of environment, you, you tend to see the curve steepen as as uh, central banks are quite sensitive to asset prices generally. But that's not the case now, uh, as as you're seeing again. Powell came out and, and, and was more hawkish. So that that's uh, keeping front-end yields higher. And uh, you're seeing that bid further out the curve on, again, that that policy mistake and the risk off. Uh, so so both of those those factors are helping uh, flatten that curve notably. I guess the question for, from a curve perspective is whether that continues. Is it, is it a one-way train flatter? I mean, that kind of seems to be the consensus now, uh, which you always got to be a little bit hesitant to follow, especially after the past year has been a, a consensus crusher. Uh, what, what are your what are your curve thoughts here, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to know we're recording this um, December first, um, and there's obviously coupon reinvestments in Canada, um, which will drive long cash um, versus the front end or, or any part else, I should say. Um, so I think that that's also playing uh, into this a little bit, at least on the Canadian side. Um, I will say clients I speak to on the U.S. side, um, most people have shifted into the long end, um, either at the expense of uh, the belly or the front end. Um, and that's various different types of mutual funds and real money. 
so it does seem like most people are agreeing consensus is flatter. Um, it just seems to be happening so early in the cycle um, that it's something I that, that kind of catches me uh, by surprise. Um, and with how aggressive the front end is priced, specifically in Canada, um, I, I don't see us being able to take a straight shot just flatter. Um, and uh, honestly, I would take a stab here at a steepener. I don't know if it's today's business. I think we we get the ability to see what the bank has to say next week. I think pulling a hike into January or pulling even more hikes, if that's even possible, w- would flatten the curve further. That's obviously a headwind for any steepener. Um, so I don't think it's today's business to initiate anything. I think that could be done after the bank in case we do get further flattening, but it's something that should definitely be on the radar. I, I'd be in the Stephen or camp from here for a short to medium term trade for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think the way, the way that I'm looking at this is because I'm, I'm, pretty convinced the bank's going to go two or three times in a row when they do start hiking. Uh, I, I, I bet you we flatten into that, that event. Uh, and, and then I think as, as you get to the third hike, uh, when I suspect they, they, they announce some kind of pause, uh, just kind of a wait and see, then the curve steepens because you'll, you'll have a, the bank kind of probably more than three hikes priced by that point, once they've gone back to back, be my guess. Uh, and, and, and so then you can get some, some steepening move after they announce that they're going to pause in the near term. I don't know. Again, th- th- those December one flows, definitely big December two, also sizable. Uh, we also get uh can flows in the middle of the month. Uh, those are also supportive. And so the, the, the flows in December are supportive of flattening. Uh, there's also a general lack of issuance on the provincial front through December more often than not. Uh, and that lack of supply on the provincial front in the long end uh, is, again, very supportive of, uh, of, of duration in Canada. And so uh, it's, it's hard to want to fight this this flattening trend in the near term. If we get into January, if, if, if the Bank of Canada sounds a little more hawkish, even even at next week's meeting, or, or maybe they wait till January, then you get a little bit more flattening. Yeah, I, I would at least look at it again at that point. Maybe you want to put a steepener on. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd agree that we've moved an awful long way in a very short period of time. And if you look at 530s uh, in the last cycle, uh, by the time we were at these levels, the bank had already raised rates uh, a couple times, I believe. And so uh, it does seem as though we're kind of ahead of ourselves, but uh, geez, it, it, it's really difficult for me to want to fade that just just from a seasonal perspective. The calendar is just a tough time to want to put that that steepener on. But once the calendar turns, I think uh, then then it will be time to, to take a look at this thing. And uh, maybe maybe that'll be a theme of 2022. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll we'll get some steepening. I, I think it's a challenge with uh, more hawkish central banks and rates likely policy rates likely moving higher. Uh, but I, but I wouldn't rule it out, especially if inflation persists even as the economy hangs in there and we get rate hikes. If all those three things occur, the terminal rates that are priced uh, only a percent and a half in the U.S. One seventy five ish in Canada could definitely be marked higher, and and that uh, w- would likely weigh on duration a little bit. I, I, I will say I appreciate everything you just mentioned about December 1st, December 2nd, and obviously the mid-month stuff with CMBs. Um, the extensions are real. Um, that seasonal should probably be respected. Um, but I don't think we should be waiting until the first hike or the second hike or the third hike. We are fully pricing in five rate hikes next year. I think there's room to disappoint on that front. I agree while they get a few in quick and, and then kind of pull off and, and wait to see how things transpire. I think that there is room for disappointment there. A bigger risk, I'd say, is is a Jan hike, just in case it pulls forward. So I will respect that Jan hike. I'll respect the December flows. But I think that's probably when we're looking uh, at the latest to probably initiate something um, and, and hopefully clip some of that carry in the front end. 
which I think is what it will be. Carrie. Okay. I like that. That's uh, all right. Well, well, we will revisit this in January. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll bring you back post uh, January meeting and, and we'll see what the, uh, whether we want to put the steamer on or whether we already, we already made that call. Uh, we, we shall definitely see at that point. That's a deal. Uh, one topic, a bit of an extension of the risk off talk and, uh, something I've talked a lot about, at least in the front end, uh, swap spreads. And, and that's been an area. It's been a, 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 there's been a lot of dislocation in the swap market and, and you can see it really in, in, in swap spreads, uh, and, and the difficulties the Canadian market has faced, uh, over the past quarter or so, again, represented very well in swap spreads. Uh, but we've also seen lately a big pullback in 30-year spreads, a lot of volatility there. Uh, Austin, maybe you can talk about how the swap spread curve has moved uh, and shifted so notably over the past few weeks. Um, yeah. So, Ben, we were talking about this a lot last week with 30-year um, spreads seem to be able to tell when there's a crisis or at least an almost crisis. 30-year uh, spreads had an air pocket last week, dropped at least 10 basis points on not enough flow to justify that move. We had seen some real money flatteners, um, but again, um, the scope of the move was much larger. And now they're going back up with very little flow to justify widening one to two basis points uh, a day. 30-year spreads are still much tighter than the rest of the spread curve. Three years the peak at over 60. Um, So there are places on the spread curve where you can put on a steepener at an inverted spread curve, which makes some sense here as well, either threes, fives, threes, tens, or anything versus thirties, I would say. I will say liquidity can be challenging in 30-year spreads. So it's something worth noting. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. Why don't we, Why don't you know what, we're, we're running short on time here. So why don't, why don't we get to your favorite trade idea? It's, it's a challenging market, so I'm only going to ask for one uh, and, and I'm not even going to chime in today because in two weeks, I'm going to put out our, our 2022 preview uh, and I'll, I'll let our audience uh, wait, wait for that to hear my, my thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to stick in steepener camp and I'm going to stick in the swap camp. Uh, I would look at something like um, threes, tens or fives, tens rate steepener. Um, the spread curve is as negative as it's been since the financial crisis. I think threes, tens spread curve is negative 16 or 17. Um, and I think there's enough carry to justify starting to look at something like that, clip some carry, and hopefully be able to peel off some of those hikes if they're not realized next year. The caveat being we might have to wait for a little bit more clarity about January, in my, um, in my opinion, or maybe pay a little January against that, even though it's probably pricing in roughly 50-50 considering where Cora is right now. Um, but I, I'm sticking with steepeners. I'm sticking probably in rates, and, and I think that one makes a lot of sense here. Okay. Why don't we leave it there for this week? Austin, thanks for joining me, and I hope to have you on again soon. Uh, Ben, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services. 
including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.